Well, good morning, Watermark. We are so glad you're here. And if you are looking for Jesus, you have found the right place. If you want to be encouraged with Jesus, you found the right place. And if you're looking for your monk parakeet, also known as a green Quaker parrot, according to my ornithologist friend, Jonathan Bacluda, who lives in Waco and has raised parrots his entire life, apparently. So uh, this little guy right here, we're going to use to kind of set up our message today in a couple of ways. And uh, before I get into the message, I just want to share with you that if you're as anxious to get inside of Watermark as my friend Monk was, that's what we're calling him, Monk, who knocked himself unconscious this morning trying to fly into our coffee shop, <laughs> was captured by Joey Tisdale, credit to Joey, and then Jordan Thompson became the bird handler who pushed him off to me. And pretty much Caitlin Van Wagner has been trying to socially distance from the bird as radically as possible ever since that particular moment. Well, I took her to Luke 10 and explained to her that it's our job to care for the bird and to have his specific needs met because this is our suffering traveler in our ditch. So if you're looking for a green parrot, we have found it, all right? Uh, And we'd like to get it back to you. Until then, we will care for it as well as we can. And it really does set up where I'm going to go in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which is why I thought I would bring him to you. But let me just say this. A lot of you guys haven't been banging on our coffee shop windows, but you have been emailing us and saying, when are we going to get together? And I'm going to give you just a little bit about that in case you're as anxious as Monk is to get inside here. Um, First of all, obviously, we're trying to be just uh, good citizens and and still honor as as appropriate uh, our governing authorities, um, even while we're making sure that they won't treat uh, churches differently than other gatherings. Right now, with a church of our size, it's tough for us to get together and welcome. They want us to limit it to about 25%. New information is coming out this week. But here's the thing. Even then, they want us to social distance when we're not part of the same family with six feet between us and rows between us. And we've been surveying a large number of our members. If you haven't got surveyed yet, you're probably going to get there eventually um, asking questions like, when we gather, uh, are you going to want people to socially distance from you? Or are you ready to run up and embrace them? Will you be offended if folks aren't wearing masks? Uh, Will it be a bother to you? Monk does not want to wear a mask. And so Monk and I are aligned, but some of you may not be, all right? And so what I would say to you is that we're trying to make sure we serve our body well, even as we um, gather together. And so um, lots of information coming. If you're not a part of The Current, get signed up in The Current because that's where information is being pushed out, not just weekly, but as often as we have relevant information to share with you. But we're so glad we can still gather in this particular way, let me just remind you that the scripture tells us whatever your convictions are about how we should be interfacing right now, we should show preference to one another in brotherly love and outdo one another, all right, in the way that we um, honor one another. And so continue to be gracious, pray for us that we'd have wisdom. We thank God for those of you that continue to um, generously support the ministry so that we can do things like this and all that we're doing in the middle of the week. I mean, Regen is online. Uh, our re-engaged groups are still thriving. The porch is still humming along. I've, I've got two individuals living in my house that are shepherding young high school and junior high students and one that's a member of a high school group. And so I know the ministry is still thriving. And we can't wait for us to be able to gather again in a way that um, authorities are saying isn't inappropriate. And we're watching carefully to make sure they don't think that church's gathering is somehow a unique class. So when we're free to meet, or if there's other problems that we think in any way would violate what God wants us to do, uh, we will be together right away. All right, so stay tuned. All right, let me pray for us. And as I pray, our 
tremendous bird handler, after years of having the critter man show up at his Christmas parties, Jordan Thompson will come and remove Monk from my shoulder. I'll, I'll talk about him actually uh, a little bit just in the first couple of minutes of my message, and then we're going to be in First Thessalonians. But uh, Watermark, uh, I do miss being with you. It's, it's not the same uh, teaching to you through this lens, but I'm so glad that you still give me the privilege to do this. Uh, and I'm praying that today would be really encouraging to you because it's a passage that talks about the judgment that's coming, how those of us that know Jesus have escaped that judgment and how we should live in light of that. All right? So Jordan, come on over here while my eyes are still open if you want. And then, uh, and then I will pray. You wanna grab, grab Monk off me there? What's amazing is that, thank you, buddy. All right. <laughs> Let us know if we can get your bird back to you. All right, here we go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for just the way that um, even as I saw this bird efforting to get in to a place where we gather to be reminded of your goodness and frankly, probably to get in to escape judgment from that hawk that lives here at Watermark, (laughs) that it's just a good illustration for us of how you, like a mother hen gathers her chicks, have sheltered us in the shadow of your wings. And so Lord, we love you. I pray you'd teach us what you want to teach us this morning. We do long to see us um, be able to get back together uh, even more in the ways that we already are, but corporately in all the um, full expression of love for one another and in corporate celebration of you. But thank you, Lord, that we are still your church while we're scattered. And I pray as we gather in smaller communities that we would be spurring each other onto love and good deeds, doing everything we're learning from the book of Thessalonians that you want for us to learn. Teach us now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and in verses 1 through 11, we're going to look at uh, this week, it talks about something called the day of the Lord. And um, the day of the Lord is not a day. It's not a 24-hour period. The the word day in um, your Old Testament especially typically shows up um, with a number in front of it. And when it does have a number in front of it, like first day or second day, third day, I'm of the conviction that that does represent a 24-hour day and not what's called a day-age theory. There are other times that you'll see day of the Lord show up in the Old Testament that um, it, it is representing not a day, but you might say that right now in the NBA, it's the day of LeBron, right? Or since we have the last dance on ESPN right now, that was the day of Michael Jordan in the NBA. And so a day can represent a period, and um, we had eight years of the days of Obama as president, and we're now four years into the days of Trump. And so you get my, uh, my point, is that day can mean either a very specific 24-hour period, and that usually in the Bible is when it's accompanied with the word day. In the Old Testament, that word was yom, and a number that goes with it. And then sometimes it just says the day, and it's representing something much bigger. You're going to find this phrase, day of the Lord, today in our text. And the word day that's here is a day that judgment is coming. I, I believe that the reason Monk was so desperate to get into our building today is because we have a hawk, a couple of them, that are always here, that fly right by my office and that sit sometimes right outside that window and that feast on squirrels and different birds I see chasing it all the time. And I think that he was trying to escape judgment. I really do. Now, you don't need to come to our facility to escape judgment, but let me just tell you something. You need safety and shelter, and that safety and shelter is going to be found in Jesus. 
So what I want to do is read 1 Thess 5, 1 through 11. I'm going to show you where there is safety. I'm going to warn you, as Paul does in the first few verses here, about the trouble that is coming for those who don't know him. And then I'm going to remind many of us who know the shelter that we have through the provision of Jesus Christ, how we should then live in light of the coming day of the Lord. Okay, let me comfort you or encourage you with these words. Here we go. First Thess chapter five, it says this. Now to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. Suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then, verse six says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God himself has destined us for wrath. Excuse me. For God himself has not destined us for wrath who believe, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer is if you are destined for wrath, that you would not be because you would place your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just you know the story, but there's a moment in your life where with great clarity and conviction, you say, I'm a sinner. It is appropriate that a holy God judge me but it's also appropriate that the miracle of grace, that a merciful and kind God would make provision for me that I might be reconciled to him. And then it would be appropriate that you would respond to him in radical obedience and joy. And that's why we gathered this way to encourage each other to do that. This little section ends in verse 10 with saying, Jesus who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we'll talk about that again, references back to what we studied last week, that asleep there doesn't mean just now at night in bed, it means in the grave, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage, some of your Bibles might say, comfort one another and build up one another just as you also have been doing. And I'm so encouraged with the way that so many of you have been building each other up uh, in the Lord in every way and encouraging each other to be steadfast and, and faithful during these days. And I pray that today would make you even more so. So this is a great text because what's gonna happen right here is in verses one through three, Paul is gonna write to a group of people who are experiencing some persecution. We know that because when he wrote them back uh, in 2 Thessalonians, the section we'll read from today in just a moment, that, that they were thinking, oh my gosh, this persecution is the beginning of what Paul told us was gonna happen. Um, you know, and, and so these must be the last days and I'm going to talk to you today about um, date setting. I'm going to talk to you about what's called the eschatological calendar and um, what we know and what we should remain humble about and what Jesus would have us do. So a lot of ground to cover. I think you're going to learn a ton. I'm going to give you lots of points. So get your pens out. Um, remind you that sermon notes will be there and uh, it'll be a great encouragement to you as you study that. But I'm going to teach you some eschatology this morning and I'm going to teach you how you should live today. Now, as we do that, 
I'm going to just oppose what we did last week in 1 Thess 4, 13 through 18, that ended with the same thing. Encourage one another, comfort one another with these words, all right? And those words were basically words around the idea of death is not the end. And if people have trusted in Christ and died, they're not going to miss out on any blessing. In fact, they have the blessing of going to be with Christ immediately, all right? To live we're going to be reminded again today is to live as Christ would have us live, to live as if Christ himself was alive because we're going to make ourselves available to him. And the same spirit, which was radically and fully and abundantly alive in Jesus should be increasingly radically and fully and abundantly alive in us. If people have died in Christ, they are with him. And the resurrection body that God will one day fully and perfectly give them one day isn't there just yet, but we know there's no such thing as soul sleep. And there is probably some intermediate um, corporal existence to them, but we will meet them with the Lord, it says in 1 Thess 4, in the air, we shall always be with him. And you need to know this. When that event that Paul described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with those who are dead, that word caught up in the Latin translation of your New Testament is rapturo. We get the English word rapture from that. Many scholars, myself included, uh, would, would believe that that's what Paul's describing right there. And that would be the beginning of this thing called the day of the Lord. And so let me just give you some verses um, real quickly describing the day of the Lord. And then I'm gonna show you uh, a chart. So at, starting in Isaiah chapter two, I'm just going to roll through some verses that describe the day of the Lord. And you'll get a sense that this is not going to be a great day for billions of people. And it's why God has not started yet, because as um, it says in second Peter chapter three, God is not slow as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, wishing that none should perish, but that all should inherit eternal life. God doesn't want any single person listening today to miss out on the blessing of the shelter, not of a building, but of the grace that Christ has bought on the cross. So that you can get away from the hawk of judgment. And so come to him and find rest. Those of you that don't come find shelter in the provision of Jesus. This is what the day of the Lord is gonna entail. I'm gonna read a few verses. Isaiah chapter two, for the Lord of hosts, it says, will one day have a reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, who doesn't think they need grace, who doesn't think that they need um, a savior, that they, their works will be good enough, or there isn't even a God. It says, against anyone who is lifted up in their own mind, they're going to be abased. Isaiah 13 verse six says, wait, okay, and, and wail because the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Wow. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Cruel, it says, with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate. I mean, I want you to see these words. These are powerful words. He will exterminate its sinners from it. That is exactly what a holy God should do. If God is loving, he must be just. And People all the time go, I don't believe in God because there's no way that God would let this world be the way that it is. And so he's incompetent and he's not strong. No, he's gracious. And he doesn't want you to perish in the coming judgment of the day of the Lord. 
which will come as we already read in 1 Thess 5, 1, like a thief in the night, suddenly. And so you better be ready. And the way you get ready is to repent. He who confesses and forsakes will find compassion. But he who conceals his transgression or denies it will not prosper, it says in Proverbs 28. Finally, I want to just end with this. Ezekiel 30, verse three, it says, for the day of the Lord is near. It's always been near. It was near when Paul first preached to the Thessalonians, which is why they were expecting the imminent return of Christ to be caught up with those who had already died to be with him. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of of clouds, a time of doom for the nations, but it's a time as we're gonna see in verses um, four through 11, it's gonna be a time of rejoicing for us, but we have a responsibility Those of us who have heard a word from the Lord, who have heard that there is an ark of rest that God has let us find shelter in. You know, when when you read your Bible, um, it always points to Jesus. It always runs to Jesus. The name Noah in the Old Testament means rest. And God had the one who was a herald of righteousness proclaim to others that they should repent and turn from their wicked ways and come and get on the ark where they would be lifted up on this instrument of wood to where salvation would be provided from judgment that would come. What's that sound like? Jesus came to give us rest, was lifted up on an instrument of wood that all who come to him will escape the coming judgment of the day of the Lord. Last week, we heard in 1 Thess 4, 13 through 18, I I would just say it to you this way, that we should not face the darkness of death um, without the hope of his coming. uh, One of my good friends here on staff lost his mother this week and he comforted himself and his family with the words of 1 Thess 4, 13 through 18, right? There's the summary of 1 Thess 4, 13 through 18. Don't face the darkness of death without the hope of his coming. Now, this week, 1 Thess 5, 1 through 11, here's the phrase. Do live in the light of his coming so that you can bring hope to others. All right? There they are. Those notes will be for you in the sermon notes, but don't face the darkness of death without hope. And this week, don't face today without the light of the hope of his coming so that you can bring hope to others. That's the charge. And people need hope. They need to be woken up from their delusion that there is no judgment. Okay? Here we go. Uh, Verse one. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written of you. Why? Because Paul's saying, I already taught you this. I've already brought you truth. Um, You know, if you've never learned this, then you've heard me say to you and the things I've shared with you today is exactly what Paul did. He read about the day of the Lord. He read about a coming judgment. He taught them about a holy God who judges sinners. The Bible says in in Exodus that, that God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, but it also says by no means will he let the guilty go unpunished but grace to you through Jesus Christ, who, as he says down here um, in verse 10, he died for us so that whether we are alive or in the grave, if we know him, we will live with him. This is a text 
that reminds you of where salvation can be found and reminds you what you should do in light of your salvation, okay? So he's telling the Thessalonians basically this. Look, I taught you about judgment and righteousness and faith because ignorance is not bliss. Remember what we said last week? Um, when he said, I don't want you to be uninformed. But what happened is the Thessalonians asked Timothy some questions when he went back to follow up in their community. And one of the questions they must have asked is, hey, is the day of the Lord begun? I mean, this persecution, is this what you were talking about? And Paul, in both his letter here and then in his second letter to them, basically told them, hey, no, uh, it hasn't started. But when it starts, you're going to know it. And it's going to be very clear. Ignorance is not bliss. It's the breeding ground for trouble. So you already know what you need to do to escape the coming hawk of judgment. And that is to run to the provision of Christ. All right? And... Um, when you come there, you don't just learn stuff. You remind each other that things are true. You review, right? I, uh, this week, was uh, talking with my family about a time that I was in France, and uh, I got myself in a lot of trouble because I did not remind myself of the French I learned in Mademoiselle Patrick's uh, two years of honors French. And uh, when I was in France a number of years later, because I had not meditated on it, because I didn't really memorize it, because I was an idiot in high school and thought I'd never need it, uh, I got myself in a lot of trouble <laughs> uh, and, um, and forgot the difference between disol and gasol, and, uh, which is terrible French even now. You can see why I didn't do very well right there. <laughs> I, I would not have done well as a candlestick in Beauty and the Beast, and I didn't do well in ninth grade in French. Um, but you've got to review. You've got to remind yourself. It's why the scripture tells us that the blessed person is the one who doesn't just read their Bible, but who meditates on it day and night. Paul, because he loves people, is taking them back to the text and reminding them what he taught them already. And that's all I want to do when I'm with you in this particular moment. Meaning you either use it or lose it. You either apply the Bible or it does you no good. And you want to keep it in the front of your mind. Not only is ignorance not good, forgetting is not good because now you're still going to face judgment but even with more accountability because God's already given you what you need. He's saying, for you yourselves, no. Why? Because I've taught you this verse too. Full well, the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. No phone call, no appointment, no notice. It's going to be uh, begun with a violent snatching. That's exactly what it says in verse 17 of the text, um, that we're going to be taken out and we're going to be brought to be with the Lord and the world's going to react in a number of different ways. Probably one of the ways they're going to react is like, good, we got rid of those uh, bigoted, intolerant, narrow-minded people that believe there's just one way to know God and we've been praying for world peace and now we've got peace because we can all get along and we can coexist under a world leader who will bring us and offer us peace. I think that's, that's where we're headed. Um, that's what the scripture seems to indicate is men will always look to men. They look to self or others to meet their needs. And the Bible says, cursed is the man who believes in or trusts in the flesh. So let us not do that. Verse three, watch this. While they, those who mock a holy God, who's going to judge sinners, 
and mock the gracious provision that was given through Jesus Christ. While they're saying, ah, peace and safety, it's all good. Then destruction will come upon them. It says suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman. And, um, and they're not going to escape. It's gonna happen quickly. And you know, even this little metaphor, it's kind of interesting, right? What happens when a woman gets labor pains? It's not long after that, that the son comes or the child comes. And that's what's gonna happen. When you start to see trouble, and I'll read to you from a sec- in a second, uh, a significant passage of scripture that Paul used as the basis for his teaching to the Thessalonians when he was there, and he's reviewing now in 1 Thessalonians, he, he tells, um, Jesus tells us, and that's the phrase of Christ. He used all these things, the wars and the famines and the earthquakes, those are just birth pangs. And the sun's not gonna be here yet, but it's all a part of the day of the Lord that is the beginning. Let me just show you, in fact, a chart, all right? So um, I'm gonna qualify in just a second a little bit about uh, mapping out the return of Christ and being a little bit too dogmatic about it. There's, there's, there's what's called a pre-tribulation view, a mid-trib or a, a pre-wrath view, a post-trib view. There's people uh, who are amillennialists and post-millennialists and, and um, all kinds of, um, you know, the premillennialists, which is what the map I'm about to show you is. But at the end of the day, I will just tell you, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pan-millennialist. It's all gonna pan out in the end, all right? God's going to uh, take care of it. And I want to get off the planning committee. And as 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says, get on the welcoming committee. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't teach one another with what we know and rightly divide the word of truth as best we can. And I'm going to do that for you today. Let me show you what I believe um, is a logical explanation for the, uh, and, and what I believe is a rightly divided word of truth way of looking at the scripture. And um, I've got brothers that I love that have a different perspective on this. But um, what I'm showing you right now is uh, a fair and orthodox and consistent view of scripture. All right, well, Todd, does that mean that if I don't hold this, I'm unorthodox? Well, it doesn't mean that you are a heretic, right? Because when you and I disagree on certain things, and this is not an essential of the faith, what Paul's gonna tell you what's essential is what you do with the faith that you have. Not that you get exactly right what Christ is gonna do in his second coming. But here's this uh, little map I've got up there before you. From from the time of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection um, to the present, that's the church age. And there's gonna be a moment, first that's we just looked at it in chapter four, um, there's there's this gathering or this being caught up, violently snatched, if you will, up to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first. Believers will give an account people who have this pre-tribulationist view uh, with me would believe that um, that's probably the time that awards are given and then we're gonna return with Christ at the second coming. Uh, just come back to me just for a second. I wanna explain just something to you. And that is that, uh, that there is the event when we meet Christ in the heavens, we leave earth to go to heaven, if you will, to be with him. And then the, that's the rapture the return of Christ or the second coming is not the rapture. That's when we are in heaven and return to earth. Now, let me just make one last thing clear for you, all right? Biblically, the eternal state, heaven is where Jesus is. Um, That's why 
The kingdom of heaven has come wherever you and I are. Our families ought to be a little taste of heaven. We ought to be individuals because we're citizens of heaven. Where we are, people go, you know what? You Christians make everything better. We don't like the fact that you talk about a coming judgment. We don't like the fact that you talk about morality. We don't like the fact that um, you guys have convictions, but you know what we do? We love the way you love. We love the way you care for people that are forsaken, the way you stand up for justice, the way you know you're blessed to be a blessing. And some of the goodness of God is seen in you Christians. You care for the least of these and the widow and the orphan and for one another. While the world's war, every nation, tribe, and tongue gets together, unified under the love of Jesus Christ and does what the United Nations can't do. We bring peace. So heaven, okay, is not an idea. Heaven is not a place. Heaven ultimately is a person. And when that person, Jesus, is present in us, it's going to bring peace and it's going to bring unity and it's going to bring love and goodness. In the future state, the eternal state, this earth that we're on will be heaven. But it won't be an earth you recognize because he's going to make all things new. In the same way that Um, That's why it says the meek, those who trust in God will inherit the earth, but this earth won't be this earth. It'll be better than Yosemite, better than uh, Yellowstone, better than the most glorious sunset you've ever seen. And there will be no sin in you, in me, or in anything. It'll be better than Eden. And God will be with us and we will love one another. And it's gonna be uh, heaven on earth. It's gonna be what God intended. And so we long for that day. Okay, Um, so look forward to that. And while we're waiting for this earth to be what Jesus wants it to be, what we should do is be evidence that God's gonna do that. Because just like this earth is gonna change when Christ speaks his word to it, you and I should change. That's the but that we're about to come up here in verse four. But you're not like these people who mock at God. You're not like these people who deny morality. You're not like these people who don't need to depend on Jesus. And because of that, goodness has come. And we're going to see we have a really significant responsibility. All right? What's our responsibility? Well, you remember? Let me just give it to you. I said it at once. I'm going to go back. Last week, um, you know, we said in, in verses 13 through 18, so, so you can have it right there in front of you and write it down, okay, is... is we don't face um, the darkness of death without the hope of his coming. That's what I want you to see, all right? I'll wait till we put it up there so you can write it down. We don't face the darkness of death without the hope of his coming. And this week, what we're studying is we now live in the light of his coming so we can bring hope to others today. That's the application of this text. We comfort one another with these words, right? Don't fret at death. Death isn't the end, okay? And this week, don't act like you don't have a responsibility. We live in the light of the truth of the goodness of God and it's coming to return to recompense men according to his deeds so we can bring hope to others. If I had to give you a, um, a statement that would go with that, it would be simply this. Clear thinking about the end should produce Christ-like living in the present. There's your application.
right? Clear thinking about the end, the day of the Lord should produce Christ-like living in the present. It's good stuff. <laughs> All right, back to the chart real quickly uh, of end times. So after this event, if we're correct, this rapture, um, that begins what's called the day of the Lord, where God's gonna unfold all kinds of chaos. I mean, it'll be a time of trouble like we've never seen. There's the tribulation period. It's a seven-year um, period. And I wanna tell you, if you're really interested in this stuff, uh, we did an equipping class on the book of Revelation that we can make accessible to you. I taught for 10 weeks on this when I went through the gospel of Mark. And uh, I taught the Olivet Discourse and I talked about it in a series called The Last Things You Need to Know. And so a link to that message, those messages will be in our show notes. And um, I'd encourage you to go look at it if you're interested in those things and um, get equipped. But what you need to know, the big picture is that Christ is coming and his judgment is coming with him. And that tribulation period, which is what's um, called uh, the, the, the 70th week of Daniel, as you study that other series, you'll learn more about that. Um, the first three and a half years of it, they'll largely be world peace. And then it looks like about after a time, times, and half a time, one year, two years, and half a year. So it's two and a half years, or, or three and a half years rather. So right there in the middle of the tribulation period, it's gonna be called the time of Jacob's distress when the abomination of desolation takes place. And that's when, when you study the book of Revelation and Revelation 6, really um, throughout the rest of the book, it intersperses, you're gonna find the seal judgments, there's seven of them. The trumpet judgments, there's seven of them. And the bowl judgments, there's seven of them, okay? All that happens in the seven-year period of the believers giving an account. And at the end of that, here comes the chart, is the second coming. And we return with him. There will be some people who have believed during that time in, in, in Christ because there will be, um, I believe, some uh, 144,000 Jews that will be evangelists that will be protected by the Lord and the gospel will go out and some will believe. But let me tell you what else is gonna happen before we move into that millennial period, that thousand years, okay? So uh, we'll come back to me on this. I'll tell you what else is gonna happen. A quarter of the earth is gonna be killed through wild beasts and hunger and the sword. That's, if it happened today, 1.9 billion people. Before I walked in here today, um, I got a little notification on my phone that, that we just passed 300,000 people dying on earth with the coronavirus. That doesn't mean from the coronavirus. It just means they died and they had the coronavirus. So 300,000 people in the last, what? Uh, well, let's just say several months have died and the whole world is shut down. Can you imagine if 1.9 billion people died when a pale horsed rider is unleashed on the earth? That's the fourth seal. Now the sixth, seventh seal is the first trumpet. And when you get to the sixth trumpet, a third of those that are remaining, that's another 1.8 billion people. 3.7 billion people are going to die in that three and a half year period. It is the time of trouble like the world has never seen. And the day of the Lord, as we already read in those verses at the very beginning, is a time of great horror. And it's gonna be saying at some point, men are gonna try and die and they won't even be able to die. They won't escape horror with death until they face the judgment of God. I don't say this to scare you. I say this to warn you. It's what Paul said to the Thessalonians. It's what I say to you. 
repent while there's still time. Now I want to read to you what another apostle said. This is an appropriate time for me to do that. And I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, almost the whole chapter. I'm going to do it kind of quickly. You can go back there and look at it yourself. But this summarizes basically verses uh, 1 through 3 in chapter 5 of Thessalonians. Peter, who was with Christ, who heard the Olivet Discourse, heard Jesus teach the same thing that Paul heard, and they both were giving the message to the Thessalonians, I want to give it to you. When Peter was writing his believing friends, he said this. Now, this is the second um, letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring you up by sincere mind, by way of reminder. What's that sound like? Just like Paul, right? Paul said, no one needs to teach you, okay? But I am going to remind you what I already said. So look, that you should remember the words spoken before him by the holy prophets, by the commandments of the Lord and the Savior spoken by your apostles. What do you speak? Know this, that first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, where is the, the promise of, of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, meaning they died, all continues, they'll say, just as it was in the beginning of creation. But when they say this, and when they maintain this, it's escaping their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. They're saying they forgot the first Noah. And then it says this, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. This time, not a fire of flood because God's never gonna, uh, I mean, not, not the flood of water because God put a rainbow in the clouds as a covenant saying, I'll never destroy the earth by flood again. But guess what? The next time the earth is judged, it's not gonna be, um, with water, it's going to be with fire from heaven. It's right now being kept for that day of judgment. Verse eight, but don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Listen to me, friends. Listen to me. Now with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his coming or his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Turn back to him before it's too late. Because why? Verse 10 says, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief. You ever heard that anywhere in scripture before? In which the heavens will pass away, he says, and the roar of the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. I, 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 when I taught on Second Peter here a while ago, um, I, I made mention of the fact that when the atomic bomb went off, when the atom was split, there was a sound like a... <laughs> that went up and it created, as we know, intense heat. If you've ever read um, you know, the book Hiroshima, you understand what happened when that bomb was unleashed in Japan. The scripture says all things are held together by Christ. And when Christ lets the world no longer be held together in its atomic, most minute ways, there's going to be a, uh, a which is literally what um, the, the Greek would say is going on here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, when it says, with a roar. And it's intense heat, and it's going to go away. It's going to be burned up. And so Paul's going to say this. Peter's going to say this in verse 11. Since then, all these things, everything that you and I think is so important, the houses we live in, the cars we drive, since everything's to be destroyed in this way, why are you rearranging the deck chairs or the chairs on the deck of the Titanic? It's going down. Don't give your time and attention to those things. No, but you should give your time and attention not to having a, a, a nicer house. I mean, that's not wrong to want to live in a place that's well-kept, but don't make it your focus. 
What your focus should be is that you should be holy in conduct and godliness. That's what we're going to see is in 1 Thess 5, 4 through the end of the chapter. Looking for and hastening the coming of God. All right, Christian. Our good word is that clear thinking about the end, okay, should produce Christ-like living in the present. That is the word of Peter. It's the word of Jesus. It's the word of your pastor. It's the word of Paul. Faithful men, and you should be to one another, and you should build up one another and comfort one another and teach one another with these words. So we are ready, all right? Um, let me, uh, as, as we get ready to this, uh, you know, capture, you know, verses four through the end, I, I wanna just remind you of what I said last week because there's an application here that I think is really encouraging. I made mention already about the fact that, that Christ is the one who was lifted up on an ark of a cross that we could find rest. But remember last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse nine um, through 11, I, I said this, that, um, that, that as Solomon wrapped up his book about the folly of trying to find life in anything other than God and a right understanding of him, he said this, um, that in, in, in verse nine, it says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered, he searched out, he arranged many proverbs. He sought to find delightful words, to write the words correctly because verse 11, the words of wise men are like goads to move us along. I hope my words today have moved you to take seriously the coming of the Lord. And there's nothing that needs to happen in any eschatological calendar for us to be snatched out and caught up with the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, you're gonna be left behind. And then the day of the Lord is gonna commence and it's not going to be pretty. There's gonna be one who's gonna represent himself as God's servant, who's not God's servant. He's gonna be the antichrist. And for a while, like all con men do, he's gonna make things appear to stabilize and get better. And then he's gonna say, hey, now that you've seen I can do good things, worship me. And if you don't take my mark, I'll mark you with judgment. And God says, you let him mark you with judgment if you are not wise enough to repent today because you let him destroy your body, but you fear the one who can destroy body and cast soul in hell forever. Boy, the words of wise men are like goads. And I pray I'm goading you along to repentance and faith today. Um, and the masters of the words of God are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. I just made a note to myself and it was simply this. There's a storm of judgment that is coming, but there's a way to find salvation. Not by trusting in a man who built an ark of wood, but by, um, that, that would cause it to be raised up against a raging sea, but by trusting a man who hung on a wooden cross and was raised from the dead. There's a storm of judgment coming, friends, and there's a way to find salvation. I pray that, that my handling God's word is like a well-driven nail in your heart today. And that just like people who would have trusted in Noah would have been raised up amongst a raging sea, that you'll be raised up with Christ in hope. So wise men, and that's what I want you to be, Wise men are like well-driven nails that hold together the ark of hope. Church, we need to understand that these friends of ours who will not escape the coming judgment, there's gonna be a roar and it's gonna be um, an intense time of consequence. 
that we don't want that to be um, the fate that anybody that we know and love or meet faces. And I just want to, you know, this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, people that reject the grace of God that Paul preached about in Thessalonica and I'm preaching about right now. It says, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and the glory of his power. Wow. Um, here's what I would say to you and me as a result of that. And that is this. Um, we are individuals um, who should consider the fate of the lost. And we should lose all concern with the fate of our current popularity in light of what's at risk for them. If you're pulling your punches talking about the kindness of God, the coming judgment of God, it would seem to suggest to me that you don't really believe there's a coming judgment. It would seem to suggest to me that you don't know the Father and his love for the lost. When we consider the fate of the lost, that they would be put to a place where they don't escape. I don't think we will concern ourselves with our popularity and what they think of us. I just think we'll be faithful. So the rest of the text here in four through 11 is um, him just saying, look, you're not like them who are in darkness, that the day would overtake us like a thief. All right. We've already been told we're awake. We're clear thinking. We know that there's a thief who comes to steal, who kill and destroy. And so we prepare ourselves for the God who wants to get rid of the destroyer. And when God comes quickly, like a thief, to destroy the thief and the band of thieves, we'll be found faithful. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, right? Remember what I said? Be, we, we are to live in the light of his coming so we can um, bring hope to others. That's our job. We are people of the light. Look what it says in verse six. So then let us not sleep as others do. He's not talking about death here. It's actually a different word. It's like physical, like you're asleep, like you're not awake. Don't sleep on Jesus. Don't sleep on truth. Don't just let it go away, but let us be alert. Man, go read Matthew 25 in your devotional this week where he talks about the, the faithful bride and the faithful bridesmaids that had their lamps trimmed and were ready as evidence that they knew and loved the king and be sober-minded. Can I just tell you something? Okay. You're the designated ambassador. You think clearly. You're the designated speaker, evangelist. You're the one who is to be like well-driven nails. And so you're the designated truth driver because you're sober. Everybody else is drunk on the illusion that there is no God and because God's been slow in coming that he's never coming. And when they say this, as we've already read in 2 Peter 3, they forget that he's already come once in judgment and they mock him, but they will be silenced in their mocking. Proverbs 9 says, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself, but you, if you scoff, you alone must bear it. And you don't want to bear that judgment. 
You don't want to bear that judgment at all. So be sober. Know the one that is to fear. I'm going to tell you this. If you're listening to this and you don't repent and find Christ and God, if he begins the day of the Lord and he snatches the church out of here and then you become sober-minded, I'm just going to tell you, remember this. Don't fear the one who can destroy your body. This is Matthew 10, 28. Fear the one who can destroy the body and cast the soul into hell forever. That's clear thinking. And it's certainly clear thinking now. Since we are of the day, verse eight, it says, um, actually, I'm sorry, I skipped verse seven. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. We all know this, right? All of us have heard our moms and dads say this and I've said to Mike, I say, nothing good happens after midnight. Why? Because individuals who are committed to evil, they wait for the righteous to go away so there's no restriction, there's no conviction on their commitment to seek that which destroys. And they love the darkness, And so they wait until there's no eyes on them. They wait until they can't be seen. When we see people do brazen acts of uncivility in the daylight, we're like, oh my gosh, that person isn't just evil. They've lost their mind. Which is frankly what I would say to us as a church. If we're people of the light and we still embrace evil, what are we doing? We're not people who wait for darkness or move in the darkness where we want our our wickedness unrestricted and without conviction and without challenge. We're people of the light. By the way, this is why the world doesn't appreciate us. Um, I I will tell you, and especially my high school friends that are listening to this, um, when I came to faith in late high school and college, there were people who would say, in effect, man, Wagner's judgmental, or, or, or I don't like to be around Wagner. And, and I, I wouldn't even say anything. I just wouldn't do what they're doing. I didn't cuss. I didn't uh, pursue, pursue and seduce women. Um, I would get up and walk out of the room when they would turn certain um, images towards others. And they felt incredibly judged by that because the light of my love for good exposed their embracing evil. But you know what? Those same guys sometimes would come to me like Nicodemus in the night and they'd knock on my door and they would sit and they'd say, hey, you know something I don't know. And, you know, as I said, if if we don't have any concern for those that love the darkness, we'll be continually concerned about our own popularity and being, uh, you know, Um, celebrated by the world, but the world's not going to love you if you love Jesus. Jesus has said that. A student's not greater than his teacher and a servant's not greater than his master. If the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. Are you concerned for your popularity? That seems to suggest to me that you're not concerned for Christ. Those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, verse 8. Let us be individuals who, having put on the breastplate of faith, by the way, this is interesting. Paul uses the breastplate of faith and the hope of the helmet of salvation here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, um, 10 years before he wrote Ephesians 6, all right? Um, Paul didn't need to be strapped to a Roman guard to be, he saw him, uh, you know, to, to write Ephesians 6, which is what he probably was when he wrote that. Paul saw Roman guards everywhere. And he said, what protects them is that little helmet, all right? And that breastplate. And he said, you know what protects me? My faith and my hope. That keeps my head from being polluted into all kinds of different nonsense. 
And it's what is going to protect you. Friends, God has not predestined us for wrath, verse 9 it says, but we have been saved from that. We've obtained salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for us so that, the scripture says in verse um, 9, that we who are, verse 10, that we who are awake um, or if we're dead in the grave, as he harkens back to what we studied last week, we'll be alive together with him. Listen, if you have friends that trusted in Christ, they are with the Father, they're with the Son. And if you've trusted in Christ and you're awake, you're with the Spirit. And so Jesus ought to be alive in you, okay? Um, you wanna be somebody who, like it says, in verse 11, then applies this, therefore, encourage. That word encourage is the word parakaleo. It is the same word used of who the Holy Spirit is. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, you ought to come alongside people and call them to repentance and call them to holy living, okay? And help them be what God wants them to be. You ought to build them up just as you also are doing. But let's go church. Let's do it even, even more, okay? Give you a parting salve or two just for fun. Uh, we're right here at the end. But what I would say is this, watch yourself. Don't be looking for signs to try and read the tea leaves about, um, or are, are, is the rapture soon coming? Or is uh, it gonna be not a pre-trib rapture, but a mid-trib rapture? I say, watch yourself. Be awake, live in the light. Watch yourself, not signs. God's not gonna check our charts when he comes back to see who's right about his coming. He's gonna check our hearts to see who did right in light of his commands. All right, that's some application for you. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, all right, as you're already doing. Our job is to get ready and his job is to return. And if we spend too much time worrying about when he's going to his job, we're gonna lose the opportunity to do ours. So let's go church, be faithful, all right? Uh, being aware, I scribbled down for myself as a helpful note, being aware that the day of the Lord could happen any day, which is what Paul was convinced of, the Thessalonians were convinced of, and Watermark's convinced of, being aware that the day of the Lord could happen any day should be enough to compel us to be faithful and ready every day. Tons of application, tons of truth. Read Mark 13, read Matthew 24 and 25, reread 2 Peter 3, read 1 Thess 5, 1 through 11, so that I can say to you, you have no need of anything to be written of you because you're awake, you're alert, and you're getting her done. All right? There's all kinds of folks like Monk looking to uh, make their way into a place where they can find rest. Jesus is their rest. You are his church. Take him in, care for him, and help him find his home. I love you, Watermark. Let me pray for you, and then we're gonna pitch you to another song. What Paul's in effect saying right here to the Thessalonians is let it be real, man. Let your faith be real. Live in the light. You're not people of darkness. Okay, and our friends uh, wrote a song. This one's written by uh, my friend John Abel and uh, Shane and uh, Shane and some others. And so uh, I think you'll enjoy this. We want our faith to be real. We've sung it before, but you'll hear John sing it for you here in just a minute. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know of the grace that they would have listened and hung to this point and that they would now repent 
And they would say, Lord, I know why you didn't return as a thief in the night last night because you love me and you want me not to perish, but to come to everlasting life. And so I pray that somebody would just say right now, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe you're holy. I believe there's no way I could ever earn my way back to you, but you ran to me and you left heaven to come to earth and you were lifted up on an ark of wood where you became a place of rest for me and I confess my sin and I make you my savior and I thank you that you lift me up from the judgment that is to come through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And Lord, those of us that are your church, they got to study this amazing text and corollary passage that we want to be like well-driven nails that speak up um, about who Jesus is and the work he did on the cross that folks might find rest in him. Help us to live in the light, to be clear-thinking, sober-minded, faithful, not concerned with their own comfort or popularity, but concerned for the lost and concerned for righteousness that some heaven might exist on earth and Lord knows we need it. So Father, let our faith be real. Let us be yours. Be glorified in our life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I love you, church. And I can't wait to be with you. I'm with so many throughout the week. I've been with folks all the time and we continue to labor for you, labor in love for one another, be steadfast and movable. All right, encourage one another, build one another up. This is the day God's given us. Let us live in the light. God bless you, friends. Let it be real. Have a great week of worship.